Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. When you speak, I feel like it's the devil talking. Ain't that a lovely thing to hear yourself accused of? Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, I'm back from Sardinia, Sardinia after a couple of weeks. Uh, anything happen in this country while I was gone? <laughs> First of all, didn't you learn how to pronounce it while you were there? Did you, Sar- like, wait, did I did. Sardinia. Okay. Okay. Sardinia. <laughs> and you got to do this thing with your, your fingers. That's most of it. <laughs> it's just like some Italian character on The Simpsons. Uh, Listener can imagine. Why you know look at my photos from Sardinia? <laughs> no, nothing happened. No. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I was paying attention. Everything's still good. You know. Our legal system is you know what? You know, the constitution is just winning, is what is all I'm saying. <laughs> According to people who, who know. Yeah, it was down for a while, you know, <laughs> yeah. with liberal justices in power, but now it's back. They've issued the corrections to what the... Uh, you know what, like, like, what would the, like, Patreon tier have to be for you to start a political blog? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I have so much honor that I, there's no amount of money. <laughs> I, would, I would literally start an OnlyFans where I jerked off, like, once a week on camera before I did a political podcast. Well, you're like going to do that. You've been talking about it for a well, while. Well, I was going to say two birds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have to start doing something new. <laughs> you could like uh, talk about politics while you're jerking off. <laughs> like Jeffrey Tubin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's not the thing, though. The Roe v. Wade, that's horrible. We're not going to, we can't talk about that right now, but it's, it's uh, awful, obviously. Like, I can't tell whether we're dicks for not talking about it. Like, yeah. Well, it's like, I don't think I have anything to add, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I just don't think it's like helpful for us to just, just say, which I think, I I mean, I I believe this is like horrifying. I was really horrifying. I I was listening to a podcast that it's a guy I like, you know, it's, it's, or a couple guys I like, it's a tech thing and they're liberals, but he said something like, but let me also encourage you to donate to an abortion, whatever relief fund. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like. No one tunes into your tech podcast to hear like that they need to donate to abortion relief funds. Like, Stick to tech, you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but there was another kind of scandal that happened on Twitter uh, the other day. <laughs> That's what I was paying more attention to. Yeah, this is- <laughs> I don't, do you have the tweet pulled up? This is a tweet. R- rarely do I get this angry at the tweets. But you have it pulled up? Yeah. I'm about to get it up. 
Hi, this is Jonathan Weisberg. I, I, I don't think I know him. He's a new, uh, philosophy professor at University of Toronto. I don't know that much about him and his work, but this is what he tweeted. Scorsese, Spielberg, Tarantino, they're master storytellers with the sensibilities of children. Scorsese's obsession with gangsters is 14-year-old boys' stuff. You can admire their talent without lauding their juvenile material. Maybe then we'd get some actual grown-up movies. Oh, <laughs> oh man. God, even just hearing it. Like, you know, what do you I think don't... he thinks a grown-up movie is? Is it like Whatever Kramer he... versus Kramer or something <laughs> like that? Like Whatever he likes. Like Love Story? Brian's song? <laughs> Brian's... <laughs> Like Awakenings, something like that. <laughs> you know, so like uh, Robin Williams in a beard movie. <laughs> in his sensitive roles, he's yeah. the best. Um, uh, no, okay, look, I, you know, I'm Jonathan Weisberg. I, I don't know him either. He can have his own opinion. He can tweet it. But, you know, he put it out there, so I'm going to tell him why I hate it. Um, <laughs> it's, it is, uh, it's the kind of commentary that... Um, is bulletproof because no matter what anybody says to defend why a Scorsese movie with gangsters might be a good movie and a mature movie and an adult, a grown-up movie, he would just accuse you of being juvenile, like b- because you like it. The definition of the mind of a fourteen-year-old as being whatever Jonathan Weisberg has grown out of right. is just annoying as fuck and it strikes me as the kind of un- just unnecessary posturing just say you don't like it why can't you just say you don't like tarantino or scorsese there's so many compounded things that are wrong with this first <laughs> of all it's you know the kind of prissiness of it and like the like kind of good deep misunderstanding of art that it would be like <laughs> divided between like the juvenile 14 year old boy stuff and the like grown up yeah, stuff right they, you know they they can talk about uh over a glass of wine after the, sh- <laughs> the, the, the viewing um it's like so so there's that there's also the scorsese has done way more movies that have nothing to do with gangsters than like any director that jonathan weisberg can name like his movies like his scorsese has done so like he has like four or five movies that are that are primarily about gangsters at most and he's directed like 30 films yeah, I, bu- I believe that even The Last Temptation of Christ, I think he said, was uh, essentially like an immature. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, what did he say about that? It made me think also, like, this is, it's possible this is a, a bit. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> if so, he trolled, he trolled me spectacularly. Um, yeah. it's, it's, you were much madder about it than I was, I was so mad. even, even though I'm the one that like tweeted it, like about it. Like <laughs> I was not a, nearly as mad as you were because you know, like there's a lot of these people out there. Yeah, it's uh, it's it just reminds me of uh, uh, Rick and Morty when Morty says something super woke and Rick says, "Ooh, someone's getting laid in college." Like that's <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of tweet they're writing. But so, what is it to have a 14 year old boy mind? Is it that there's gratuitous violence? Is that some sort of wish fulfillment? Like I was talking to you about, you know, Inglorious Bastards or yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's like an alternate telling where the thing happens that you really wish would happen, like Hitler gets killed in an overdetermined fashion. Um, is it is that what what is immature yeah. or fourteen year oldish about it? Is just the, violence, it just the violence. I think, I think it's the violence and like the kind of t- the the larger than life characters in some of these movies, maybe. And, um, and you know the kind of violence that you have in some Tarantino films, like Kill Bill, like 
sure it reminds me of of young boys playing you know swords or whatever but the kind of violence that you have in a scorsese gangster film is like well this is like the kind of shit that people did it's ugly and it's grown (laughs) up as fuck and does he think that it's glamorizing to think it's a good movie to show i i don't yeah i don't get it but the whole notion of what a grown-up movie is pisses me off and i think maybe it's because i'm still the kind of grown-up who likes animated uh movies i can imagine him thinking like oh when you when you hit 12th grade and you want to see your movies that aren't drawn then hit me up (laughs) maybe (laughs) maybe he would like let miyazaki in or something just out of pure like you know you got to get that pussy (laughs) it's just i don't get why why take to twitter to say something like that it's not It's so stupid. And also, like, you know, like Jackie Brown, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they're movies literally about aging. Like, 14-year-olds don't like movies about aging and the aging process and, like, being, like, middle-aged to late middle-aged, feeling like like the world is sort of— The world has passed you by. Has passed you by. Like, that's not juvenile stuff. And uh, What about Spielberg? You know, um, I think you were saying— of the three, Spielberg is, might be close to fitting the bill. <laughs> if I had to grant him one. <laughs> I mean, the kind of obvious one to grant would be Tarantino. Like, Scorsese, it's just like, he shouldn't even be talking about this. It's blasphemous. Like, um, But yeah, Spielberg, it's it's a little bit of my personal taste. Like, he is like a master craftsman. And, yeah. you know, you take something like his his love of, like, 1930s serials that sort of, like, you know, brought the summer blockbuster into into fashion in the 70s um and 80s and raiders of the lost ark and, and raiders of the lark exactly trilogy. that that came to be what 14 year old boys love but i i think that the causal arrow might be in the direction of spielberg making these like uh kind of cool movies and then guess what people who still enjoy things in life <laughs> like to go watch them <laughs> for your philosophy degree those we were so fun trolled right now like (laughs) we this we just got fucking played by jonathan weisberg from the university of toronto good job jonathan he's like living rent-free in our head (laughs) (laughs) he really was for like an entire evening for me (laughs) like why why am i coming up with counter examples in tarantino's films of like mature mature content No, but it is very morally objectionable. I, I would I would you call it evil though? Well, if you if he knew what he was doing was was wrong, and he did it just just because it was wrong, it might just be. Um, so if so, you couldn't conceive of doing something <laughs> like that, it's so it's like unthinkable, you know. And then yeah, that's what we're going to talk about in the second segment. Here's one way, though, to uh, to prep, to warm ourselves up um, before we get into. So we picked two articles um, to talk about evil. But I couldn't help when we started talking about the topic of the week uh, to I couldn't help it but send you this moral alignment test. So some people might know about uh, moral alignment. This comes from Dungeons and Dragons. It's always been kind of like a nifty way, I thought, of of categorizing people on their moral qualities like their moral personality like in recent years it's become meme like you can yeah you know there's lots of charts so you've probably heard about it but i thought it would be fun to actually take this uh highly you know highly empirically backed 
and uh, you know, well-studied moral alignment test that we thought we would take online. I mean, on air. Yeah. And people can follow along. Uh, you yeah. t- I took it, and I know my score, but we're going to check the. I also test I have my score right here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I screenshotted it because we're going to do it again. I I, I I say this. I want it to be chaotic. Good. Like that's how I <laughs> hoped it would turn out. That's exactly but, what I wanted as well. Yeah. That's how I self-identify. So I don't care what this quiz. <laughs> Me too. Says. Yeah. So fuck this. Uh, <laughs> you know, quote unquote, like measure. Yeah. Okay, so the way that this goes is there's 24 uh, items and you can agree or disagree. So it's like a five point scale. Um, And so uh, let's get to it. These are some of these are tough questions to answer, like this first one. I often forgive those who have wronged me, even if they do not deserve it. Oh, they must be, it must be randomizing the order. So that's okay, though. Um, You just say them. Should we just do mine? I often forgive those who have wronged me, even if they do not deserve it. <laughs> it's an interesting one. I feel like they never deserve it, but I always forgive them anyway. <laughs> yeah, I scored, I answered high on that. I feel like I, forgiveness comes easily to me, as evident from our 10 year uh, podcasting <laughs> relationship. <laughs> yeah, I think I put it on one agree. The only thing is, like, I don't often like just actively forgive somebody as think whatever it's fine. Maybe that counts as forgive, right? It uh, is kind of a Christian concept. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like I don't harbor things, so right. that's why I'll, um, I often help others without expecting anything in return. This is like also like relative to what here? You know? <laughs> yep. These, yeah. All these personality tests are tricky, but yeah, I think behaviorally, like I, 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 the, the, it's always tricky when there's two things. One, I don't expect things in return when I help people. That's for sure. Do I always mm. help people? I mean, I feel like I do, but of course I remember all the times I do. I don't remember all the times I didn't help. So. Right. And I'd like to just push back against this idea that you don't expect anything in return. I feel like you're, you know, when you do stuff for me, it's very transactional. Like a cheating score. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like you're the Jew. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm going to put one agree. Cause that's what I like. I think I do it, but I don't know if I do it like as much as the most person on on this scale, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I don't remember if I put one or two. I do. I will say I like helping people. Um, yeah. I, like I have. That's true, actually. All joking yeah. aside, yeah. I am not as you do. Like, like you, how much? How many people's audios? Do you do? <laughs> two, two others. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you still do fucking Jesse singles and their audio? Because that's no, ridiculous. I only they make helped. like 50, 50 times as much money as we I do. only helped Katie once when she was in a bind, but, <laughs> but I did enjoy doing that, and she was very grateful. <laughs> she, her, Katie. I just wanted to. Oh yeah, good. <laughs> they, yeah, they're both really uh, kind of militant about that. <laughs> when I see others acting carelessly, I think to myself that it is a matter of time before misfortune befalls them. This is a weird question. Almost like carelessly, like when they put their, they can't find their keys or something. Like <laughs> when they leave their baby in the car. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I put disagree. I think to yeah. that. I think it, because I just can't be bought. Like I don't think anybody. Like there's no. Yeah. I don't believe in any sort of karma or. I, I do, but only in like, not in like from the world, just right. that like eventually all these things do come back to bite you and it's hard to be happy if you're just a bad person. Yeah, I usually can't be bothered to help those in need. This is a tough one because like, 
again, like, how do you define usually? Like, most of the time, I don't, like, help, like, I I spend the vast majority of my time not doing that. I felt like my, like, honestly, I should keep it at neutral because I don't, like, I feel like I'm making some sort of judgment that's not really what it's asking. Like you say, most of my time, I'm not helping people. Like, I'm not out there at soup kitchens or whatever, you know? I do what I want and do not feel particularly obliged to anyone. I would say that's like one disagree for me. Yeah. Yeah, probably me too. Cheating isn't justified because it's unfair to others. Like, (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) Like almost by definition, but (laughs) like. (laughs) But I saw a funny tweet the other day that said, isn't it crazy that until John Rawls, people believed that justice mm. was unfairness. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, yeah I, I might have been put lower on this because cheating doesn't bother me that much. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, it bothers me more. Others regard me as good-hearted and well-meaning. I say agree to that. Yeah, I think so. We could be, we could be so wrong about how people view us, but I think yeah. <laughs> I like to think that people think that about me. Like that's yeah. why we can get away with some of the shit, like a horrible shit that we say. I feel justified in doing whatever I can to succeed. To completely disagree. Yeah. Also not that like motivated to succeed, period. Exactly. That's what's driving it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just... It's I just will do like, whatever I can to not do a next thing. <laughs> yeah. I am intent on kindness and cooperation. This is just a, like a meaningless question. Like, what does that mean to be intent on kindness and cooperation? This is like how I'm, about if it's how about if it's asking you uh, uh, of your values? Do you think kindness and cooperation are near the top? Uh, I guess kindness, cooperation. If like you know, I'd rather like not be on the committee. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm too. I think I'm a hard agree on these, but, but like based right. on my, I'm gonna be neutral OB. on that. I keep track of sensitive information that can be used to hurt people at a later date. Hey, no. this one kind of fucked with me because I don't feel like I do that at all. I don't either. But I do feel like I do have that information. Like I've always felt like I could pull something out that would really hurt someone. I wouldn't want to do it, but, but you know, so I don't feel like I'm a collector. Really? I don't, I'm not a collector of it, but I know how to hurt people's feelings. I thought it meant like photos of them, like fucking oh, yeah. a, like a, a, a teenager or something like that. <laughs> I only have pictures of me. <laughs> With teenagers. <laughs> no, just of me. <laughs> um, yeah, if, if, like, I, but I don't think it's like keep track makes it seem like you're storing this thing for like, yeah. like blackmail or something like that. Right. Like, it just, if it? you have a good memory... Generally speaking, I'd rather buy myself a little something extra than donate to charity. Again, this is a tough question because, yeah, most of the time that's what we do. I had, being honest with myself, I had to do a hard agree on this because, like, just behaviorally, the amount of things that I buy for myself versus spend on charity. Like, I can't in good conscience say. (laughs) Yeah. I have an excessive need for stimulation and I'm prone to boredom. What did you put? This is it. Yeah. I disagreed. I like I'm. I get. I can get bored, but I actually can be yeah. easily entertained, as probably listeners know. Like Just throw on Deadwood. Easily. Exactly. Yeah. I can. I trick and con people if it is my interest to do so. No, I don't. Never. 
you yeah, I feel like this whole thing is one long con that you've pulled <laughs> off on me. <laughs> I obey those laws and rules that seem sensible to me. No. I mean I do, but I, I also only obey. obey. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I okay. only obey. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Even if I were trying very hard to sell something, I wouldn't lie to get my way. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would never lie to get yeah. I frighten others to get what I want. <laughs> I don't think I'm capable of that. No, I don't either. Like, they would just laugh. They yeah. would crack up. I often worry that I might behave inappropriately. This was a funny one because it's like I, like, I definitely think I might behave inappropriately, but I'm not sure I feel worried about it. Yeah, that's know. a good distinction. I, I'd put a one agree on that because in my moments of, like, you know, lucidity, I, like, I can start worrying. Right. Is this predictive or are you saying that it like distresses you? I kind of don't care. If I, if I cared that much, I wouldn't. So like, one agree? Yeah. Then? Yeah, I think so. I Helping, think it's good to be worried a little bit. It keeps yeah. me from being more inappropriate. Oh man, I want to see that. <laughs> Helping others out by doing good deeds is its own reward. I mean, I'm going to agree in spite of the cliche-ness of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm often worried that my actions are deserving of criticism. <sighs> I'd say one disagree. I, I think I'm less worried than a lot of people. Yeah. Like not not that's purely descriptive rather than normative. Like right. I'm right. They might, might be, be worthy of criticism, to. but yeah, but <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not worried. No. I'm oblivious to that. Yeah. Then, I use tricky plans and schemes to get my way. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> I got a psychiatrist from nineteen forty five. Like Ocean's Eleven or something. <laughs> you know, like. get the blueprints. Why I have a tricky scheme? <laughs> uh, I I hard disagree. I'm not good at coming yeah. up with tricky plans and schemes. I do not feel guilty when I hurt or offend someone. I'm gonna do like hard disagree, but I feel like you might be even more <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. the problem with a you know five <laughs> right. point scale you know yeah yeah hard to disagree oh god what did you get this time oh fuck so last time i was uh right now i am so clearly in good and lawful like oh. just very good only like three things 72.5 percent good but 64.2 percent lawful I think, and this is why I think it's interesting to take it both together, because I was lawful neutral when yeah. I took it by myself. I think that something happens when we take it together. Our answers, we either influence each other or we're doing some form of self-presentation. Yeah. Um, right. But were you doing lawful neutral before? Uh, let me look. I was, I was six. I was less good. So that's interesting. Like you were saying, I was 64.2% good. And I was only 26.7% lawful. So what, what are you, true neutral? What, is, what was your score last time? I mean, what was your category? Oh, neutral good, it said. Yeah. Neutral good. Um, that's better. That's, that's what I was. I was neutral good, yeah. yeah sorry. Not neutral not uh, lawful. Whatever I said lawful. Yeah, yeah I was neutral good. Uh, this is not reliable. This. <laughs> well, this is, you know, why you take these privately. Okay, neutral good archetype from Wikipedia. A neutral good character typically acts altruistically without regard for or against lawful precepts such as rules or tradition. A neutral good character has no problems with cooperating with lawful officials but does not feel beholden to them. In the event that doing the right thing requires the bending or breaking of rules, 
they do not suffer the same inner conflict that a lawful good character would. Chaotic good, what we wanted to be, was chaotic good character does what is necessary to bring about change for the better, disdains bureaucratic organizations that get in the way of social improvement. See, that's just so me. <laughs> and places yeah. a high value on personal freedom, not only for oneself, but for others as well. Chaotic good <laughs> characters usually intend to do the right thing, but their methods are generally disorganized and that's often a, out yeah. of sync with the rest of society. This just like is describing me to a T. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, at least we're not evil. So I'm going to read just uh, just because we're going to talk about evil. Let's read lawful yeah. evil. A lawful okay. evil character sees a well-ordered system as being easier to exploit than to necessarily follow. Examples of this alignment include tyrants, devils, corrupt officials, undiscriminating mercenary types who have a strict code of conduct, and then blue dragons and hobgoblins, which is, again, not the... <laughs> those hobgoblins. Um, Any theory of evil must capture <laughs> the, the hobgoblin aspect of evil. Chaotic evil character tends to have no respect for rules, other people's lives, or anything but their own desires, which are typically selfish and cruel. They set a high value on personal freedom, but do not have much regard for the lives or freedom of other people. Chaotic evil characters do not work well in groups because they resent being given orders and usually do not behave themselves unless there is no alternative. I, I identify, like you said, as chaotic, <laughs> as chaotic and, yeah. and, and like whatever. I think I just answered like too many questions like uh, like I give a shit about rules or something like that. Yeah. So that's really like I, I'm, it's no rules you for just, this. Just take like it I'm again maverick. until you get the score you want. <laughs> You're a maverick. <laughs> You're. I play by my own rule. <laughs> the stupid chief is trying to like. Chaotic <laughs> uh, good. I examples of chaotic good include copper dragons, many elves, and unicorns. So there you go. <laughs> unicorns are chaotic good. Like, I didn't realize they had that kind of personality. I'm or curious like what most people are. I I'm curious what, what uh, listeners take this. We'll put a link to it. Listeners yeah. can, can take it and let us know. Let us are. know. Does anybody, does anybody come out evil? I guess. Probably not. Um, but I bet people come out less good than us because they're more they are. probably <laughs> honest about like <laughs> <laughs> about the shit they do about yeah. collecting collecting uh, things in order to get back at people. <laughs> we all have our staff, our little safes, our, our safe deposit boxes. <laughs> well, that's what Twitter is nowadays. All it is is a is a way to go and f and for other people insert things that they can use against you at a future time. Do you like delete your tweets? I don't do that. I did. I, I didn't never used to, but like something got into me the other day, like a couple months ago and I deleted like most of my tweets. Not because I think there's anything wrong in there. I just don't, <laughs> don't want to be surprised. I've deleted all my uh, apps tracking my menstrual cycle. <laughs> okay. Let's just go to break. All right. We'll, we'll be right back to talk about evil. <laughs> we laugh to keep from crying. <laughs> this episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, BetterHelp Online Therapy. If you're like me, like a lot of us, you might fall into this trap. You spend a whole lot of time taking care of the things in your life, like uh, your car, your house, your pets, even other human beings in your life, the amount of energy and time that you might spend making sure that all of those things are okay, sometimes is disproportionate to the amount of time that you spend taking care of yourself. And your mental health is something that you really should 
put just as much effort into. I know for a fact that BetterHelp Online Therapy is a great way to get that process started. If you don't know by now, BetterHelp is an online therapy service that provides uh, therapy over video chats, phone calls, even text or chat-only therapy sessions. You don't have to see anybody on camera. You don't have to be physically present to get the therapy. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And really what you do when you sign up is you just tell them a bit about yourself and why you're looking for therapy, and they'll match you with a therapist. Importantly, and unlike, say, traditional therapy, where you find one therapist in your town and and you um, are kind of stuck with them for a while. Uh, If you don't like the therapist that's been assigned to you, you can ask them to switch. They're really there to provide help for you as best as they can. If you're considering uh, doing some form of therapy, may we suggest that you give BetterHelp Online Therapy a try. And if you're a listener of Very Bad Wizards, you'll get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash VBW. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash VBW. Our thanks to BetterHelp Online Therapy for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is that time of the show where we love to talk to you personally. Look into your eyes and say thank you for the support that you've given us. Um, we know particular- where you live. We are where <laughs> you exactly. live. So can we- you feel our look right now? Can you? We are watching the, you. The male, the male gaze. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you for, especially for being part of this community and contacting us. If you want to do so, you can email us verybadwizards at gmail.com or you can tweet to us at tamler at peas or at verybadwizards. Um, you can join the lively discussions that take place on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash verybadwizards, where we, we really appreciate um, that community. And uh, you, in our first attempt at recording this, you mentioned one particular post. <laughs> oh, God. It was so nice. <laughs> yeah. That was that, just... Yeah, go ahead. Well, it was that we... Um, I guess in the Ivan Illich episode, I think, said, like, have we, like, kind of wasted our life doing this podcast or something? Or it was in the context of flow. I don't remember. But they said, I know they were joking, but, like, here's what this podcast has given me. And I think it, like, you know, and, like, a lot of people chimed in with why the podcast was worthwhile to them. It was very, very nice. It meant a lot to, to me to read. To us. Um, so thank you. You can also follow us on Instagram and see our new episodes posted. You can, 
please rate us on Apple Podcasts and maybe even leave a review. Tell a friend about the podcast. Well, a friend that you think might like it, not a friend who you think might hate it. Um, You could tell them. You could tell them too. Um, And you can listen to us or subscribe on Spotify and that probably helps something or other. And if you want to support us in even more tangible ways than that, uh, all the communication and all of that is so heartwarming and is a form of support, but also, but, a, but a more tangible form of support can be found on the support page uh, at verybadwizards.com. There's a bunch of different things you can do. You can buy some swag. You can give us a one-time or recurring donation on PayPal, or you could become one of our beloved Patreon supporters. Um, we really appreciate there. That's where our bread is buttered, and we really appreciate all that they do and the, their generosity. Um, and we try to give back a little bit, uh, a small token of our appreciation. Um, you know, depending on the tier, at one dollar and up per episode, you get ad-free episodes plus six volumes of Dave's Beats which are awesome. I, I love all of them. And then at $2 and up, you're in bonus episode territory um, where we give a bunch of bonus episodes. Uh, you'll have a whole back catalog of them, plus a monthly Ask Us Anything that we've started um, posting. And if you... we are, Oh, should we announce this right now? We are thinking of doing something, and we're not sure what tier or whether this will even be Patreon or how it will come out, but something about Deadwood, like a, a, a in-depth episode-by-episode recap, um, like a whole series on the show Deadwood. This is because we're both... Uh, we're, we're about to have Matt Zoller Seitz, we think, uh, coming on to talk about his new book, The Deadwood Bible, and that just got us back into the show, watching it again, and it's so phenomenal and so brilliant, and I, I think it would be really... Um, worthwhile for us to dig into it in like great detail and if you're so if you're somebody who's never seen it or who has seen it but wants to rewatch it you could watch along with us as we give the recaps i think that could be really fun yeah feel free to let us know actually if that Um, if you would be interested yeah yeah Oh, <laughs> 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 the five dollars. <laughs> I was like, what? I You're just like, oh, I'm, so done. Long. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Like, sipping his wine. <laughs> <laughs> At the five dollar and up level, you get to vote on the listener selected episode, and um, you get uh, access to our five part series on the Brothers Karamazov, another series like, uh, you know, the one we're thinking of doing. And it's uh, something we're really proud of. Um, we go part by part through the Brothers Karamazov. Um, at $10 and up, you get um, our monthly Ask Us Anything video. So you get to ask us questions. We're about to record one right now, right now. Uh, just after we finish this. Um, and we'll uh, post a video with our responses to you and also an audio version. Plus, you get everything from all the other tiers as well. So um, thanks to all of you at whatever level of support you uh, you are at right now. It means the world to us. Thank you. Thanks.
We are now going to turn our attention to evil. It's a topic that you have been sort of spearheading, and I have been, I don't know, a little hesitant about because of just the vastness of it. And I think also because I am very emotionally troubled by reading accounts of what you, <laughs> what people call evil. But it's uh, we have a couple of uh, essays that have some interesting stuff in it. What was it about this topic, though, that uh, you found uh, so interesting? What is it about evil that attracts me? Yeah, um, what is it about evil that attracts me? <laughs> so tasty. Uh, well, I think that part of it is that I was raised with a kind of religious worldview where evil is personified and it is existent and it is part of what humans have to overcome and um, and in some way like bad things that happen to the world are attributed to the presence of evil forces. So like that's always been in the back of my mind. There's but like then, a fight between yeah, evil the fight, and good. Yeah, in fact, in the Seventh-day Adventist theology, the central conflict that that explains the problem of evil, which is not what we're going to talk about today, but and the answer is that the the evil Satan and the good God are fighting it out to show the rest of the universe like what's the better way to go, and it's it's kind of funny to to think like that there is somebody who's saying like no God. Evil is the right answer. He's like a comic book villain being like that. Yeah. And I guess which themselves are built on old myths. Right, um, right. Including like biblical myths. So I guess it makes sense. Yeah, yeah right. And then there's, the, then there's just the question of whether we had ever talked about evil on this podcast and we realized we hadn't. I was like, this just seems like something we should do. Now, it might go terribly because as you say, like this is, there's a lot, it's heavy on conceptual analysis, the, the articles that we chose to read. But yeah. it does seem like it's something that we should talk about. But how, like, how do you, is evil a concept that you ever gave any thought to? Like, do you, is, is it something that you think is something that exists or is it just like a, a, like a handy way of saying really bad? Yeah, no, I do think like I'm on the side of the view that there is something a little categorically different about evil people or evil actions um, you know, I, I'd never given it a lot of thought and I'd never struggled with the existence of evil as such, as opposed to just the existence of all these horrific evil actions and people. Um, but I do think that, you know, just purely intuitively, there's something about an evil character. There's a kind of sadism. Their intentions are uh, set up in a way and the things they do are just beyond anything I could conceive of myself as doing. You can't get into the headspace of how somebody could 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 do these things, uh, never mind like take pleasure in doing them. So like that always seemed to me to be like if evil as opposed to just something that's really wrong. Right. And, and definitely also not something I would do, but something I can at least, like I feel like we're the same species you know yeah yeah yeah. like there's like i'm capable of plenty bad but usually it's because i have weakness of will or something like that or ignorance or or yeah. right um you know part of what also has always bugged me is that the social psychology tradition that i kind of came up in is very fond of and we've talked plenty about this situation as critique um of character yeah. 
is always very fond of saying, well, you know, it's a huge mistake to uh, attribute evil to anybody because it really isn't their fault, which we can talk about whether culpability has anything to do with evil. Right. But um, but it's like the idea has always been it's very easy for you to make the kind of dispositional attributions um, to other people for actions that you yourself would realize if you committed them were just due to the situation, right? Or right. whatever. Like the Milgram uh, exactly. kind of uh, case. Yeah. But there are, you know, like doing something like, you know, shocking the person to death is because a scientist tells you to is still categorically different than some of the things that people do that yeah. we get described in vivid detail in these papers. Oh my God. Yeah. One of the papers. So we, we read a paper by a philosopher named Marcus Singer um, on, called The Concept of Evil, which we'll, also, we'll link to. And then one by Daniel Hebron called Moral Monsters and Saints. The Singer paper, I had to just skip over. Like, I was like, I don't need any more examples. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a litany of like one more cruciatingly, like shockingly awful than the last. The Milgram stuff ties into one of the things that you put in our Slack, which was the, an article on um, Hannah Arendt. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Yeah. Hannah um, Arendt. Uh, the banality of evil, because that's what social psychology was sort of taking itself to, to argue, which was. No, you think evil exists, and of course Hitler and Nazi Germany feels like the like the ultimate evil. But what's even more disheartening is that no, those were all just regular people like you. That there was no evil to be found, which I think is maybe a misreading, uh, at least a, of Hannah Arendt. Of I Hannah think. Arendt, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I don't think she was saying we would all be Eichmann. Like I think her point is he's a very boring kind of person. <laughs> yeah. Like he's he's not very smart. He was just ambitious and wanted to do his duty uh, in a way that would result in like his success. He, he wasn't like a complete sociopath. He didn't take pleasure in it. She says, and there's debate about this, yeah. that he didn't have anything like specially. Uh, against Jews, like like he didn't have some, some special hatred for Jews. Right, it's just, he's a pencil pusher. He's a pencil pusher. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like a lot of people aren't pencil pushers in this way, and they so like I don't think if she was doing something with the situationist. Uh, we're saying exactly, but both of them are deflating, like what yeah. it means to be an evil person, and and like you know how much we're all complicit in it too. Right, and here's the thing that seems motivating to people who want to talk about. To, to like defend this notion of evil, which is um, it seems as if we should have a, ca a category for that kind of person. Um, why? Like, I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But, right. But, uh, but like, I guess we can start talking about some of the arguments in these papers. So Daniel Habron says one of the things we alluded to before, which was that he says it's a natural intuitive and he thinks defensible thing to say, that that uh, sure there are bad things, there are immoral people and actions. He's focused on people, like evil people and character. Says, but um, no matter how many very very varies you add in front of the word bad, there is something about an evil character that seems qualitatively different. And so right. he wants to defend this notion of evil as being different than just being extra wrong, because as he says. If it's just very bad, then our current theories about what it means to be bad are fine. Like all you need to do is add some sort of like severity and you can just say, all right, like the Hitler was just really, really bad. 
Pol Pot yeah. was really, really bad. And then that intuition there, again, is what I found undermined by the end of these two articles for me. But I take it that people do want, to, like, there's something disrespectful about not calling Hitler evil. Well, yeah, if if not disrespectful, like, I mean, maybe I know a lot of people think that and, you know, they get uh, upset if you don't call like what the Nazis did evil. Like, I've struggled to figure out what this debate turns on, like, what are the stakes of it? What are the truth makers of it? You know, both of them say we need to have a this concept of evil that's that's categorically different than you know like the spectrum of morally wrong and morally right but what determines whether their accounts of what evil is uh, is successful like because sometimes they're like well it has to accord with common usage but (laughs) then in the paper you're talking about is like well this doesn't accord with common usage (laughs) but it does like upon reflection it's like what exactly is going on here like what are what are exactly are we debating in some ju- ways, this yeah, yeah. In some ways, this was a microcosm of a general problem that that arises for any paper on conceptual analysis, which is okay. So there's this lay concept of evil, and just like you say, if, if you say evil is something, and that something has nothing to do with how people use the term evil, then clearly, like, well, you're just not like that. That's a completely different concept. Like, who knows what you're talking about? You want it to preserve some of the ways in which we use the term evil. But then you would think, well, why not then just ask people what they think right. evil is? Just like Josh Nob handout. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, I take it. it. And so I got in a, in a discussion with Nikki about this and like the, the whole reflective equilibrium where I think, like, let's take Hebron. So he says, okay, here are the theories that people have proposed for what it might mean to be an evil person. Roughly, you have harm-based theories that say, okay, people who bring about a lot of harm, those are evil people. And right. he, he, I think there's good reason he dismisses that. He says, no, because there are all kinds of ways in which somebody could bring about harm accidentally or <clears throat> for good reasons that we wouldn't want to call evil. So right. he thinks this is like a non-starter. So when he says we wouldn't want to, it's like, like it could mean a bunch of different things. It could mean we wouldn't want to because we have some sort of moral goal in mind. It could yeah. mean we wouldn't want to just because it sounds kind of counterintuitive or he could mean we wouldn't want to because that's not really the nature of evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like always a little unclear to it's me a, like yeah, it's wh- a little which bit from, of those. It's a little bit from doing. column A, a little bit from column B. Yeah. So I so here's one way of thinking about what he's saying there. He's go and ask people what are examples of evil people. And yeah. then go and ask them about people like imagine Joe pressed a button by mistake and killed a million people. Is right. Joe evil? And there, I think he thinks that people are deploying an intuitive concept of evil that they might not have a theory about, but our they, theory they should almost at least, definitely don't. <laughs> yeah, they, they right. don't. They don't have yeah. a, the, a theory about. Um, it's pre-theoretical for them, but nonetheless, there is structure to what they say, and what we want to do is uncover that structure. And that structure, he thinks, can't be that evil corresponds to just doing harm. Um, right. because people would disagree. Which is tr- totally true, yeah, right? right? It's just enough to say it's just unintuitive to call every person who does harm is uh, evil. It's like evil, right? Yeah. And that meshes with my intuition. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and he says, okay, then some people say, well, the evil person is the person who has evil motives, like someone who is prone to do evil acts, so um, motivated to do evil, which 
Like, I'm not sure. You know, but like, what, what does that mean? I don't know. Um, so, so this is where I start getting a bit confused because don't we now need a theory of evil acts um, yeah. in order to say that a person is prone to do it? Charitably, let's say what he means is somebody who walks around um, wanting to do the harmful things that they either do or don't end up doing. So, so he yeah. might take harm as like, well, there's something to it. Like evil people do harmful things. So if you walk around trying to cause harm to people who don't deserve it, then, um, then you're an evil person. Again, that could be like the first one in, in terms of it would capture way too much. Like it's not that you want to do harm to people for some other gain to you, right? It has to be that you want to do harm to people because it'll cause them harm or otherwise it's the same problem as the last one. Yeah. Well, Singer has like a little typology of this. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. We can <laughs> so get to that with that. Singer. I, I, this is why I like Singer's approach better because A, even though maybe it was hard to stomach some of his examples, they were being at least tied in some ways to yeah. what we're talking about. And I think it's fair to say, I, I think this is in the back of their mind the whole time, which is maybe reserving the term evil for certain kinds of people is actually a useful thing for society. Right? Like there's maybe this right. is a concept that we don't want to abandon just because it's hard to find the whatever necessary sufficient conditions to. But like there's a, you know, it when you see it and we don't want to abandon it just because it's hard to like. Define figure out like uh yeah to come up with necessary and sufficient yeah. conditions like so we're talking about for the motive one to have like an evil will in contrast yeah. to the kantian goodwill who likes to do good for the sake of good i think in this case and he hasn't defined what evil you know like what it is to do an evil act but the point is if he delights in performing a harmful act that has a certain moral gravity to that and if the person is not animated by understandable considerations this gets to the like uh, and I don't know if the paper agrees with this, but this gets to something that I think is what, you know, kind of closer to my understanding of evil, like how I categorize it is they're not doing it for like some greater good, even if they're yeah. even in their own perverted like mind, they don't think this is a good thing. You know, like there are people who, who might do something just purely out of just like they think it's right, but their sense of what's right and wrong has been so perverted, but they're right. really doing it because they think it's a good outcome. And then right. I, whereas an evil person is actually delighted by the fact that what they're doing is, right. is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And well, then the term delight here is something that ends up, I think, being better uh, described as his affective theory. Yeah. Um, where there is both to want to do things because they're wrong um, and maybe just because they're wrong or at least not caring that they're, they're wrong. And then yeah. there is the emotion that you have about doing it and so so he ends up coming to, to this sort of like this high what he calls some like a hybrid affective motivational view which seems pretty straightforward to me which is that if you want to do a bad thing and you like it then we can call you evil and distinguish you from merely bad and one thing he also, but this other aspect of it also that you're not animated by understandable considerations yeah um, is important. And then also it does seem like he has this, like, I guess one of the more interesting parts I, of this idea is 
it's like you also you can't have other parts of your character that are good. Yeah. So he talks about Tony Soprano here, who's yeah. like maybe done some evil things, maybe delighted in doing some really bad things, but also has a really good side, you know, with his family. He loves Meadow, you know. Yeah. He has like a conscience in uh in a lot of aspects, even in the mob side of it. And so like that's why he's not evil. Yeah, it's a, though... it's, a, it's a good little passage, so I'm yeah. going to read it. There's no reason to suppose that the typical Nazi war criminal, for instance, could not also have been a true friend and loving companion to some. Insofar as that is true, then those individuals were not evil. They truly had a good side. Our inclination to call them evil depends on the fact that that side of their characters is neither apparent nor particularly salient from our usual perspective. Were we fully appraised not only of their worst acts, but also their best, if we knew about them what their loved ones know, it is unlikely that we would continue to feel comfortable in calling them evil. This, I have argued, is what makes the lead character of the television series of The Sopranos, Tony Soprano, so confounding. <laughs> Ordinarily, we might see no difficulty in totally condemning such a mobster, but the show, which focuses on his home life, reveals too much of a complex character to permit us that comfort. There is a descriptive question as to then whether anybody is truly evil. And then right. there's the conceptual question about, well, it doesn't matter whether or not it obtains, but like somebody... Somebody, yeah. yeah, but but very plausibly, like this account wouldn't include like most people who are complicit, say, in the genocide of of really anybody. You know, they talk about Rwanda too, right. and you know, there were plenty of people that I'm sure just had these other lives where they were, you know, caring, good fathers, you know, all of that. Yeah, and it's like so then they're not evil, but then see at this point it's like. The more you know about them, the less comfortable you are calling them evil. It's like, well, I don't know. If they go to work in a concentration yeah. camp and are just like torturing and humiliating like children, it's like, yeah, even if they are like really <laughs> good husbands the other time, you know, yeah. it, I, I, I'd still say they're evil. Yeah, there is this. This is another part of the, the stuff that's that started getting to me about the, the conceptual analysis is the use of uh, terms like. Uh, to be evil is, on my view, to be consistently vicious in the following sense. Yeah. One is not aligned with the good to a more <laughs> to a morally significant extent. <laughs> and it's fun. like, now you're just yeah. baking it into what significant is. Like, uh, But right. don't you need to explain what significant is? I, I think I like put in the margin, like, wh what are you talking about, like 3%? The whole point of this is to like uh, make more precise our like understanding of evil. And this is like the exact opposite of that. It's, it's, it couldn't be a more vague I definition. I have, by the way, in the Stanford Encyclopedia uh, article, there is a sentence that got me so angry, or a couple sentences that got me so angry that I felt like you when it came to um, to <laughs> analytic philosophy. Okay, yeah, here it is. Okay, watch. Eve Garrard and Luke Russell also point out that even if the concept of evil cannot provide a complete explanation for the performance of an action, it can provide a partial explanation. Uh, so, as an aside, they're talking about whether evil is useful as a causal theory, like to yeah, say an evil to, it. it's an evil to virtue. It's <laughs> yeah, like... it's, so it says, for instance, Gerard argues that evil actions result from a particular kind of motivation. Call this an e motivation. Thus, to say that an action is evil is to say <laughs> that it has resulted from an e motivation. This provides a partial explanation for why the action was performed. <laughs> but how is that? That is like the that is. Snake oil. 
They're selling us snake oil. They're they're <laughs> saying words that have the guise of adding explanation. This is our version of p hacking. <laughs> like, Let's call this e hacking. <laughs> it has oh, it has man. the allure of adding something to the debate. Um, I, I will say, like the other paper. I don't think is as bad when it comes to some of this stuff. Like it has other issues. It's extremely, extremely long-winded. <laughs> it yeah. really is. So let's talk about it. Today's episode is brought to you by 80,000 Hours. Look, hopefully after listening to this episode, you've decided you don't want to devote your life to accomplishing evil. But maybe you actually want to pursue a career that does real good, that makes a, a significant positive impact and makes the world a better place. I mean, we could all use that right now. Uh, the, world, the world needs a bit of help. Well, you have 80,000 hours in your career. That's 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year. I mean, hopefully your job will give you a little more than just two weeks off per year and for 40 years. The point is that's a lot of time and it means that your career is probably gonna be your biggest opportunity to help improve the world. 80,000 Hours website has so many great resources to help you find a career that's fulfilling for you and one that can make a significant impact on the world. They have a series of guides outlining global priorities, career strategies, and personal fit, you know, which kinds of careers will suit you the best. 80,000 Hours is a nonprofit organization. All of their great research is absolutely free. Join their newsletter and they'll send you a free in-depth guide that aims to take you through the steps all the way to a concrete career plan. They also host a job board with nearly 1,000 currently open high-impact career opportunities, and they offer free one-on-one -on -one advice on how to help you switch paths. They even have their own podcast. They're coming after us, I guess. The 80,000 Hours Podcasts, which hosts unusually in-depth conversations with people like Toby Ord, Cass Sunstein, uh, Will McCaskill, I think, was on there, and, uh, and a lot more on how best to tackle pressing global problems. Join, so join that newsletter now. Get their free copy of their in-depth guide sent to your inbox. Just sign up at 80,000hours.org slash wizards. And again, just to be clear, they're a nonprofit. Everything they provide is free, always. Fully philanthropically funded. Their only goal is to help you find a fulfilling, high-impact career. To get started planning that career, sign up now, 80,000hours.org slash wizards. Once again, 80,000hours.org slash wizards. Thanks to 80,000 Hours for sponsoring this episode. I wanted to ask you, I was thinking about the term evil. And as I think we always should ask ourselves, is this just a language game? And yeah. I was thinking of it in the context of the word for evil in other languages. And I thought to myself, in Spanish, what would I say for evil? And it's just bad. It's mal. And I yeah. think in French, it's the same. Yeah. And they don't have like a... No, uh, like a different word, as far as I know. As, yeah. as far as I could find, uh, and I also asked Nikki, uh, um, and it seems like there are words that you can have for like a like a person with bad character. Yeah, but but is it a Protestant concept then? I well, I I don't know. I like, yeah, I'm very curious as to say say in biblical Hebrew if this is a fleshed out. Um, word that's different from from morally bad it is weird because it starts the the hebron paper starts with this like well here's what's motivating me we want 
we're sure, right, that there is, no matter how many varies you add before bad, there is this separate category of evil. And I was like, well, are we sure? What, like, what, what is the downside of saying, no, there's just like real, real bad shit? This is where the terms of this debate and what's at stake are confusing to me. I think sometimes it seems like people are just saying, look, we do have the, like, as in ordinary language, when we talk amongst each other, like when we call things evil, we mean something that is different than just really, really, really fucking bad. And so like, you know, in thinking about it, reflecting on it, we should try to figure out, you know, what, what is that cluster of things that we're referring to? And then you know, then there's other people who might think it's actually like morally wrong for us to to not have this separate category because maybe, you know, we're more motivated to prevent evil or something. Or if we don't call the Nazis evil, then we're like, I don't know, condoning it to some extent or yeah. we're not going to fight against it as strongly next time or something like that. So I think it, like both of those things are at play here. And then there are some people who just think, no, this is an actual thing yeah. and we yeah. just need to uncover what that is. So they have a more platonic kind of conception. Yeah. And then might even, if you have a supernatural, like if you think that that sort of evil has gotten into you because like you, there's actual the influence, like the influence of supernatural powers that are making yeah. you do evil. Um, the, yeah, I found the whole like, well, we don't want to abandon it because then we might be extra vigilant for, for like these kinds of really bad actions. Like, I don't think we need any extra vigilance to be honest. Um, but I, yeah. I was, it was funny to read the encyclopedia, the Stanford encyclopedia has the first section talks about evil skepticism versus evil revivalism. And I just, I, I like the, the idea of like the a, being in like a yeah. tent, like <laughs> chanting so, I mean, about <laughs> I, I, here, here's something that I think is behind. So something like the Rwandan genocide, which everybody, you know, this is something Singer talks about a lot. It's like something that everybody knew about and just kind of watching it happen. And it was as brutal and horrific and just uh, cruel and devastating as uh, the other big genocides. And we watched it happen. And so it's like, well... Is that because we don't have a strong enough understanding of what evil is, and so we let it happen? We allowed it to take place? And I just think that would be a very naive view of yeah. why why countries intervene and right. why they don't. I don't think that's really what uh, is driving those kinds of decisions, in spite of the rhetoric that's, all, you know, axis of evil and all of that. Like, Yo, well, I think that's... that's that's, that's just a, rhetoric. Yeah, that's ev that's evidence for for some evil skeptics who want to say, well, no, like if we keep holding on to this concept, what it does is it just makes it easy to vilify whoever it is we want to um, by calling them evil. Yeah, I mean, I, I but I again, I would think that's also naive on the other side. I, like, I don't think it will. It matters either way, you, you know. Like, you, you know, that calling you can, them the axis of evil helped garner support for. I think probably like material. And other economic considerations were definitely a lot more have uh, well from the decision makers for sure, but maybe yeah. from us letting it happen. I mean, maybe like who knows? Like that's an empirical question. You yeah. know, probably there's probably times where it does matter either way. You know. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read the singer. I found it. The term "evil" is the worst term of opprobrium that can be applied to a human being, and the concept, in my conception of it, applies primarily to persons and organizations secondarily to conduct and practices. Evil deeds must flow from evil motives, 
the volition to do something evil, by which I mean something horrendously bad. There's another part where I was like, he kept saying, what I mean by that is something horrendously bad. And I was like, well, what is But that's mean? the action, I think. That's just like one aspect of the action. It has to be horrendously bad. And then there's all these other th- aspects too that it needs to have. One cannot do something evil by accident or through thoughtlessness. Through accident or misadventure, one can do something wrong or bad, even terrible, but not something evil. So when we say someone did something evil, we are saying something about that person, that person's motives, and consequently about that person's character. Um, Yeah. To me, when I introspect on the times that I want to reserve the term evil and why it would be so hard to say it about somebody I knew is because... I'm fine reserving the term for people who seem to be devoid of any moral sense, like a psychopath who is completely callous to the suffering of others. But that's about that's about it. So, so I guess I would um, I, I would reserve it for people. Who- I see. I I guess I disagree. So let's look at his actual definition, okay. which he gives. I think on page thirteen. An evil action is one so bad, so awful, so horrendous that no ordinary, decent, reasonable human being can conceive of himself or herself doing such a thing. And an evil person or organization is one who knowingly performs, wills, or orders such actions or remains indifferent to them when performed by another in a situation where one could do something to stop. Here's where I think all his litany of just terrible examples is illustrative at the very least because so let me just read a couple of them uh on october 1978 a man named lawrence singleton offered to take a 15 year old girl mary vincent from berkeley to los angeles on the way she fell asleep and after she fell asleep he took her to a canyon in nevada where he beat her threw her in the back of the pickup truck ripped off her clothes tied her hands raped her several times later dragged her from the truck held her hands down and chopped them off with his hatchet he chopped it three times the blood was spurting all over she was tossed over over a guardrail stuffed into a culvert and left for dead but somehow she didn't die and then he talks about like the james bird horrible like 1998 where they dragged him uh face down on the rear of a truck just because he was black um it was a very famous case in at that time and then you know then i'll also talk about the rape of nan king what this suggests to me because i think all these things like those are people i would definitely say are evil it gets to the kind of a, like I could not in a million years conceive of myself as doing something like that. Like it's it's so beyond what I would be capable of that it really does seem like this has to be another kind of like species of person. And I guess these are kind of the same thing, but they, they seem to like that about it. They, they, they love how like horrible it is. Yeah, but isn't that what I was saying? Well, you, because I guess... But, but maybe you like maybe some of these people also like have like normal familial affections and even will perform obligations or something like that. Uh, yeah. So they're not fully sociopathic. I mean, I guess. It's oh, an, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, yeah. I meant the sociopath is like a paradigm example of somebody who is not who, who in fact, the psychopath might not even fit it always because. They might be motivated by purely pragmatic reasons and never actually harm somebody, or they might not be sadistic. I guess I met people who truly take delight in doing the thing for, like, for right. the sake of harm. Okay. And yeah. then, yeah, so then maybe we completely agree. Yeah. Um, I do like that Singer seems willing to say, so he over and over again in this paper uses these, like, 
um, almost hyperbolic language of horrendous and terrible, and you couldn't even imagine engaging in it. I don't know that that's doing like rigorous conceptual work, um, but it is at least giving us the that sort of deep emotional sense of what kind of person this is, which I'm fine with. And and he's fine with saying, so by evil, I mean somebody who's so far on the continuum of bad that w- that we're now calling them evil. So, And that's something that uh, Hebron doesn't seem to want to be able to, he doesn't want to say, he wants to reserve it as categorically different. I think that makes less sense than just saying, like there are some people who are so bad and by so bad, it's probably because they seem to take delight in a way that I that most human beings can't imagine. And also the things they do are so horrific. Yeah, you and, know, like yeah. I remember recently being in Romania and going to the Elie Wiesel Museum and seeing the pictures of the concentration camp he yeah. came out of and the way these like Nazis are just standing by while all these people are tortured and suffering and obviously killed by the hundreds every day. And it's like, maybe they didn't delight in doing it. Maybe they didn't rub their hands together and take like a sick thrill out of right. it, but it's still the scope of what they're doing is still unimaginable. Like that you can go to work, you know, and you can like yeah. live with yourself and like that Way, that just seems also evil, you know, even if they might have had a little qualm about it. Now, of course, this opens the door for like the fact that we're doing this about, you know, factory farms or like just complicit in all the like horrible things that the U.S. has done in the last, you know. Yeah. But 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 it's not like one of the things, you know, America is very good at is keeping it out of our like sight. Yeah. You know, and and yeah. to the extent that, that I, I I guess I don't have so much a problem um saying yeah those nazis who were just standing there posing in front of like piles of bodies were evil so what if they went home and loved their kids and so what if they donated to charities um i'm okay calling those people evil and i I think when habron brings up the example of tony soprano i think he's wrong about why it's difficult to uh call tony soprano evil i think it's difficult because in some measure we develop affection for him not yeah. because I somehow have a problem saying that he's a monster. It's just that the only problem I have is is one of uh, of uh, like an interpersonal relationship that you've made me develop with him. So if you were to just say, okay, feelings aside, is Tony Soprano an evil person? I'd be like, yeah, he's pretty fucking evil. And that's the reason that that show is compelling is you've made me kind of like an evil person. Yeah, you know. I would read it a little differently. I think he's not evil because the things that he does aren't at the threshold of what I would call evil. He doesn't seem to delight in doing wrong just because it's wrong or even like, but he will just do what it takes for himself to and his family and the, you know, his group to succeed and make money. So he's selfish and he will cause violence and suffering to achieve those ends. But that to me seems like not quite evil. And yes, everything else that you're saying is true. You develop an affection for him because like, I think he's, you know, he has these vulnerabilities and he has these, this is a really good side and he's loyal and, you know, he's not like Ralph, uh, Ralphie or somebody, you know, okay. but you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like that guy is more evil than Tony is. So this, I, th- this depends on, I guess, the reading of the show, um, yeah. or the character, but there is one thing that makes me always tr- tr- like snaps me back 
And that is that throughout the series, the times when Tony is smiling the most is when he's beating the shit out of somebody. Sure, he's like, you know, the opening scene when they're driving, uh, they're, they're trying to collect money from the guy and they're driving a car and they run him over. You know, sh- sure, it's an end. It's a means to an end of collecting money from somebody who owes him money. But he loves, he's, he has this grin on his face when he's in, it's like, it's his flow. Like his flow is when he's doing that. Um, yeah. And that's what yeah. makes me, snaps me back to remembering like, just because he's nice to Meadow doesn't mean that if you're at the receiving end of those blows that you wouldn't see a monster in front of you. Like No, totally. It's rare though that he does it to like a civilian yeah, or like yeah. an innocent, like a yeah. pure innocent person. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Like we're like Deadwood because we're about yeah, to yeah. We think we're gonna have um, Matt Zoller Seitz, who's uh, just came out with a book called the Deadwood Bible that we're both very excited about. We think we're gonna have him on next. Like Deadwood, you know, someone like Al is he, he's pretty does some pretty bad things in the early episodes. But you just not only would you not call him evil, I think I might call him fundamentally or at least you know like ultimately good to some extent. Al is an interesting case where I also agree with you. He has the interests of the camp in mind and, and he is doing a lot of this for the sake of the opportunities for other people, the community. And that really separates him from Cy um, Tolliver, who uh, is introduced uh, kind of as his foil. I think third is the third or fourth episode um, who doesn't seem to care about anybody other than himself. Um, and yet, I wouldn't call him an evil character. He's definitely like a bad, like a really bad guy. Yeah. But I wouldn't call him evil. Um, I would say there's two potentially evil characters. But do you disagree with me about Sol? Si, my, my reason isn't that interesting. I just don't, he's too small time to be yeah, evil yeah. in the way. Like his, his, his wrongs are more kind of violent sordid definitely like horrible but like i don't know like it it doesn't seem to cross the evil threshold right so so i think what you're getting at when you say that is like there's something about magnitude that matters Um, i think a lot yeah you know right it doesn't have to be like total harm but it has to be like some combination of just like how horrific what they're doing is and the har- and yeah. you know, how much some total of harm is being done. I think Psy is um, morally more callous than most any other character except for the ones you're probably thinking of um, on the show. And I think that if we were to see all of the things that he's done, in, in particular, I'm thinking of what when he kills the... Remember the two kids? One of them is is a uh, oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Kristen Bell, yeah, Kristen Bell, and and her whatever brother. Um, there is where his what I thought of is like his most evil side comes. His out. sadism yeah. comes out, yeah, because yeah. so, other yeah, that like normally he's just you know doing it for his selfish ends. and he's also like and, whooped by Joni so much that that sometimes he's yeah. just like he's just pitiful. Right, right. There's a kind of like if you're, and this is Tony has this to some extent, like because he's emotionally vulnerable. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. if you have that kind of vulnerability, it almost makes you less evil, uh, yeah. in some sense. Right. So because uh, it puts you more in the realm of the human, I guess. Yeah. And the, um, the moment, the moment we start seeing ourselves, and this is, I think, what Singer gets right. If it's truly unimaginable, um, yeah. then it's that's. I think that's a good criterion for 
calling it evil. So it's a moral bad that you can't even see yourself doing. And I'm sort of okay saying, yeah, sometimes people do that. Whether or not a person is evil, might you might just mean, do they do that enough for, for it to cross your threshold? But it seems like a magnitude matters here. Yeah, the rape of Nanking description. I'm oh, not going to read it. it I recently... I had I'd heard of it before, but I recently came across like a blog post about it and I hadn't realized how bad it was. And unfortunately, I saw pictures. When you see the pictures and then you just see the people, at, you know, that's where it becomes in this just sort of unimaginable. And yeah, yeah, maybe you put me in that situation and, you know, like uh, like even if the situationists are right about yeah. like most people just you know, will be turned into that kind of moral monster under the right circumstances. Still moral, it's still morally monstrous yeah. and they still are moral I, monsters. Yeah. I feel yeah. like if someone called me morally evil after doing that, I, I would be like, I, how could you disagree? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I was reading actually, speaking of the rape of Nin King about, um, a Murakami book right now, the wind up birds chronicle. And, there's a description of, you know, like a lot of what the Japanese did to the Chinese, but then also what the Mongol, you know, there's this just vivid description of this Mongolian uh, torture that just skins a man yeah. alive. And they all are just taking so much delight in doing that. And, you know, like, even though there is a purpose for it, they're not doing it for the purpose. Yeah. Like. The right. person in charge of them is has a purpose getting information or whatever, but they're just doing it for the love of doing it. And that just crosses the line into evil for me. But like somebody who's not like that, but I would call evil in Deadwood is Hearst. Yeah. Like, because there's such a like pitiless ruthlessness. And this is maybe gets back to the Hayburn thing. It's yeah. like there is just nothing good and human about him. He is just a vessel for just making money and like acquiring uh, you know, property and wealth and power at with just l zero regard for like the suffering that that causes. Yeah. And maybe this is a good time to read what Singer has this section where he talks about the, the kinds of evils that he he calls it uh, gradations. Gradations. Of evil. I like that. Yeah. Um, so the first is knowing somebody who does something, knowing it to be evil and because it is evil. Which right. is that's the yeah yeah that's ultimate. probably the rarest. That's that real like sociopathic like personality that just it just gets off on how yeah horrific what they're doing right. Is. And so like even if you know even if it behooves you to have a torture um, on your side because it's instrumental for you, that person if they're getting off on it, like I I'm just like yeah I know I hired you but. You suck. <laughs> You're a terrible, <laughs> terrible person. Um, the second is no uh, doing something, knowing it to be evil, but not caring. And that's Hearst. That's right? Hearst. Yeah. Third is judging it to be evil, doing something, judging it to be evil if inflicted on them or on people they're concerned about, such as those who worship the same God or are members of the same tribe, but not regarding it as evil if it is inflicted on others or inflicted by themselves. Um, so like double standard or like fourth. Uh, doing something, knowing it to be evil, but for other reasons, such as their own convenience. So I think that, um, and then uh, Singer has two other kinds, but he says those aren't really evil, but I'll read them anyway. So so that might be Sopranos, right? Like Tony Soprano. Yeah. Like D. Yeah. Because yeah. the thing about Tony is he doesn't have to be in that business. Right. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, it is 
it's the easy way. Like he's taken kind of an easy way out of life. He's not working. What I would say about that is that one is only, I would call that an evil person. It, like depending on how horrendously bad what they're doing is, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's one thing to do something morally wrong, knowing it to be morally wrong, but just, you can't be bothered not to do it. it but if it's like, you know, like torturing somebody or, or raping and, and killing and dismembering and dragging someone around just because they're black or whatever. Like yeah. then if it, if it if it like the more horrific than the fact that they're letting their own convenience trump that like is starting to be evil to me. Yeah. And there's a case where I think you could make a case that um, there would be people in that category who are more m morally culpable. Um, yeah. than people who don't care because they might, you know, because it's an, I don't think we'll have time to get into it, but it's an interesting question whether a psychopath who's broken in, in a particular like emotional kind of way should be considered morally blameworthy. Um, yeah. But they are evil. I'm like, maybe for that yeah. reason, that, that sort of characterological uh, ascription, I think. Is yeah, it's funny. Like, I don't get the sense that that's what's at play here. No. Like, I could think that some people would not be morally responsible for being evil. And in fact, like, you almost suspect that some of the, like, because they're so deformed morally, yeah. like, you know, this is, it's not something that you, like, a series of choices, like, that yeah. you make, like, a normal, reasonable person makes. Right. Now, they're real, I think, I don't know if these are empirically true cases like if, if or accurate descriptions but there are the people who engage in something we've talked about with paul which is like perverse actions people who seem like if somebody yeah. can out of the blue for no reason even though they know that something is wrong and horrendous they're just like yeah let's do it like like in the movie rope you know those two guys yeah exactly um, yeah. those are scary. or i just saw uh funny games today mm. i suggested it to you but i just saw it like a Michael Haneke movie like uh, I take it it's not invasion. funny it's not. <laughs> it's not it's it's really like I am not I really struggle like I, I I had a hard time watching it and I didn't like there are times where I just like fast forward it even though I often rewound but like it's it's definitely a movie that it's like <laughs> you're times, sorry that sentence cracked me up there are times when I fast forwarded although there were times when I rewound <laughs> well because I couldn't watch what was going to happen but then I was like okay but I should see what happened and then I would go back but like I really like I don't you know the movie is kind of about like uh you know how the audience is complicit and we mm -hmm. all take like a vicarious thrill about it and it breaks the fourth wall in all sorts of different ways it's a really well-made you know good movie and i think haneke is totally you know i think cachet is one of my favorite movies of the last 25 years or whatever but it's like i am not in that like i kind of resented being told you actually love this because yeah. i don't watch those home invasion movies i can't them yeah. i can't stomach them and yeah. the only reason i was watching this is because like i respect him as a director and here i am being like accused of, <laughs> <laughs> of wanting to watch this thing right. that I find like, like I didn't enjoy watching it at all. Right. Um, okay. The last, sorry. Singers, no, no, that's fine. Uh, the last yeah. two categories that singer concludes aren't actual evil um, <clears throat> yeah. um, are doing something, knowing it to be quote unquote evil, or at least bad, but in the light of a fair and full consideration of all the factors reasonably knowable, for the sake of some greater good to be achieved. That's, I think, yeah. Al <clears throat> Swearingen. Like, I think he uh, knows that 
Yeah, although he's often right. I think this this kind of person might be totally misguided about that. Yes, right. And and this is this would just depend on your intelligence, I guess. Right, because Al is very sharp. Al is doing things strategically that I think he even thinks are bad, but he thinks that not doing them is worse. So, for instance, his sacrifice of the reverend um, is, I don't think, he doesn't delight in that at all. Not at um, all. In fact, like, that's one of the things that you yeah, admire about him when he does that, because nobody else will get their hands dirty, exactly. even though they think it's the right thing to yeah. do. Yeah, it's one of the best character building sort of um, yeah. moments. Oh, now your dog is gone. I know. Um, <laughs> Our dogs are like, get the fuck off the, the computer and feed me. I know. You want to know what's evil? Like starving your dogs. <laughs> That's what's fucking evil. <laughs> so we'll wrap it up soon. Uh, <laughs> finally, is the not believing it to be evil, but judging it to be good. Um, which again, you could be wrong and criminal and culpable and all that, but that wouldn't be evil. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, and it's an interesting question about. You know, I think he even brings this up or he alludes to it like 9-11 terrorists or something like that who are, yeah, you know, arguably, I don't know, I haven't like, I haven't read up on the details of who they were and what their motivations were. But you could imagine that uh, some of them were very thought like this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, I'd be surprised if they didn't. Right. And, yeah. And it's, it's, again, it's a hard thing. This is why the concept is rot because people... I feel like it's enough to say those are very, very, very bad people um, because mm-hmm. they were wrong, um, but not necessarily evil. And they also like, you know, they were willing to sacrifice their lives for yeah. it, even if it's the most misguided. Like, that's a question where the action might be separated from the person. From the person's the, character, yeah. And it's and it's because it's kind of unimaginable that you could get yourself to to do something yeah. like that. Yeah. But at the same time. Right. It could be maybe they are the third category judging it to be evil if inflicted on them or on people they're concerned about, but not regarding it as evil if inflicted on others. Here's one question I wanted to ask. It seems as if at least Habern wants to, um, I think, uh, be able to say that people who never do harm, but are this, uh, sadistic voyeurs, like imagine you spend your time on the internet looking up like snuff film. Um, yeah, I think he wants to say those people are evil. Right. And, you know, this is just, again, a question of this. I don't know that there's a right answer, but does that mesh with your sense of what it means to be evil? Like if you, so one no, of them, like, like I would like say an, they're just sick, right? a sick son of a bitch, they're sick. you know, <laughs> like yeah. that's like my theory of sick son of a bitch is like, <laughs> maybe I'll have to save for another episode. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> you read an op-ed, the, the distinction between evil and sick son of a bitch, son of a bitches. Um, I don't know. What do you think? That's my thing is that, that no, you have to actually do something. I think so too. I think if you're yeah. going to reserve the term for something, you should reserve it for people who actually act. And that means that, but, I mean, because maybe both of these authors w- want to make this characterological, like really about character. And they say, well, what if you, you know, you're disabled, right? Like say you're a quadriplegic and you can never actually do anything bad, but you really want to, or say you wanted to detonate a bomb, but it didn't work. Um, right. That one's a little trickier, um, but I think that that because you actually you went through with the action, yeah, yeah, right. And so there, maybe you're evil. But if you're just twisted, um, yeah. then I don't, I don't know that I would call you evil. Um, just and, I, and I also, this friend. is where like these kinds of marginal cases is where I'm unclear, like what 
A, what could possibly determine, like, who's right about that, and B, why it matters. You know, like, I think some people would call that person evil, like, they, you know, they have an evil sensibility, fine. I wouldn't, but, like, I don't think there's a fact of the matter about it. Like, and I don't feel like, well, I, you know, what I really need to do is compare it to all these other cases of people (laughs) uh, where I call, you know, like, and if I find an inconsistency, I don't think that's how, like, concepts work obviously if you've listened to this podcast you know that (laughs) so like for those marginal cases i I lose the thread of like what the debate even means how do i even understand it? yeah that's why i ended reading these papers with less of a with less of a curiosity about the concept evil because i i think that i was convinced that we don't lose anything uh, like it's rhetorical mostly to me to say evil because it's a handy word to indicate the things that we just indicated because often you want to communicate that this person is bad but when i say bad i don't just mean that they were dumb and did did something that hurt others i mean or like selfish, this is a sick right. son of a bitch who also carried out something really terrible so it's kind of a handy word to have i don't know that co- morally as a concept it's that necessary um, I would be surprised if it's a concept that that is persists across languages and cultures. Yeah, I'm curious about that. That's something I'm curious about too. Like, do the French really not have like a word that distinguishes? Like, is mal really what it is? Yeah. Or does that like in certain contexts signify something else? My knowledge of French isn't good enough to know the answer yeah. to that. But in Spanish, I think you could you you might say like diabolical. You might you might right. make reference to that in a way that even a secular person would understand what you mean, um, and you know I, I suppose that it's an empirical question as to whether or not if you gave people a bunch of cat you know a bunch of descriptions of people whether they would lump them together even if they don't have the word they would just be like oh this person is mal but really really mal in this way um, yeah right. they just they like like it. supplemented it with these other yeah like conditions, which is kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, my feeling is different from you maybe that I do did really think that there is a concept that people use in a, you know, more or less consistent way in terms of how they understand it. That definitely not to the standards of any kind of conceptual systematic account, but like, you know, it does pick something out that is different than just saying really, really bad. Yeah. And I think, like, I f- still feel that way after reading these papers. All right, Omar, just chill for <laughs> yeah. two minutes while we wrap this up. <laughs> while, we, while we stop being so evil. Killing a dog, that's an evil thing. Feeding the pigs uh, by to woo, that's a good thing then, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> That Al is contributing so much to the well-being of the pigs by dumping yeah. bodies. <laughs> especially given what we're going to do to pigs like in the subsequent <laughs> like 150 years they deserve to have like certainly like we have it coming but yeah all right all right well thank you for uh, indulging me in this conceptual analysis <laughs> oh one last thing about just the long-windedness of the marcus singer yeah. paper it's unbelievable like <laughs> 
here's just a, an example where he's talking about the overgeneralized usage of evil, like people, and, he'll, and he's saying like, you know, Hastings, Rashdall's treaty, the theory of good and evil, a thoroughly illuminating work on standard topics and ethics has absolutely nothing to say about evil <laughs> as such in the title as a, uh, is used merely as a euphonious surrogate for the opposite of good. Then he goes through another one that he says, like, you know, another philosopher, Richard Taylor and Philip there. And then he just throws in John Berendt's Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil <laughs> uses evil in this same overgeneralized way and despite its readability and also despite its catchy title provides no insight into the concept of evil evil as such it's like it like don't just like don't devote like 200 words to like taking a pot shot at a fucking novel, <laughs> a novel. <laughs> that, that's like it's a title it's its goal wasn't to shed light on evil as such Dude, you know I, like that's not like i was like did you just do like a search on the word evil and look up books and then like be like wait were you and reading just trash them <laughs> were you reading that book <laughs> to, to find their analysis <laughs> of evil um, and it goes on like there's just a ton of the more examples of is there an editor at this fucking journal okay so two things i wanted to also because i forgot to bring this one up too there's a part near the beginning where he's talking about uh, th his method so he says uh, people are not always careful about what they say and often use the term evil instead of wrong or bad emotively for emphasis or to express strong feelings of revulsion and disapproval this thus ordinary usage is a poor guide here and frequency studies useless so we must search for clear cases, cases uncontentious and clear beyond any reasonable doubt, cases such as those I am about to depict. If there oh, are no clear boy, cases, will he depict. Yeah, if there are no clear cases of evil, there can be no concept of evil and no theory of evil. And a little bit down, he says, someone else might disagree with some of my examples. That is not of my present concern. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he just say that like... That's <laughs> it's just unambiguous. Uh, Dude, I yeah. know, I know. You what uh, you could just what a what a way to reply to reviewers. Can you imagine? Like that is not my <laughs> that concern. That is not my present concern. <laughs> it's really like we can just get away with it. <laughs> it's evil, really. The banality. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh join us next time on Very Bad Wizards.